Today on City Cash Chicago, on the city level, we've got our mayor, our alder person for our ward. For the state, we've got the state senator and representative for our district. And of course, same goes for Congress. But there are also elected officials who represent us on the county level. We're voting for them too this midterm. So WBEZ politics reporter Kristen Shores is here to explain what we need to know about those offices. It's Tuesday, November 1st. I'm Jacoby Cochran, and this is CityCast Chicago. Kristen, welcome back to CityCast Chicago. Thanks for having me. This is one of those things that I also need a breakdown for. Every single election, I feel like I have to go through like a just a small little refresher course to remind myself all of the things and, and how everything breaks down on my ballot. What are all the things that the county is really responsible for? I mean, the county is responsible for a ton, and I, I do think it flies under the radar, right? I mean, you ask people who their Chicago alderman is, they could probably name that person. You ask them who their Cook County commissioner is, and sometimes you just get like a blank face, like... They don't know, right? I mean, it could just be that, you know, the the districts that commissioners represent are huge, right? Um, they cross the city and the suburbs. They're responsible for a lot of things. The county is an $8 billion budget. You know, it runs the county jail. It runs the court system. It runs the public health system, Stroger and Provident Hospitals and a big network of clinics. It runs a huge Medicaid health insurance plan called County Care for people who are low-income or disabled. And so, I mean... People might not interact with a county, they might think, if they're not, you know, getting pulled over and ending up in bond court, um, going through the court system, getting, you know, accessing health care at the public health system. But it, but the county really is huge and is responsible for a lot of things um, that we all interact with with our daily lives, whether we know it or not. Let's start with the highest level president, current president. Tony Preckwood is running for her fourth term. You know, what what's her power look like countywide and who is she up against? Yeah, I mean, like you said, she's up for her fourth term. So she's been the Cook County Board President for a long time. She's a Democrat. She also has the powerful role as um, head of the Cook County Democratic Party. So, you know, she obviously has a lot of, of clout and weight that way in terms of you know, having people to knock on doors, get out votes, things like that. Um, she's up against uh, Bob Fioretti. He's one of two people up against her. Um, Bob Fioretti, as people might remember him as, was a Chicago alderman, and he was a Democrat. He was um, part of the Progressive Caucus. You know, he has unsuccessfully run for other offices, Chicago mayor, Cook County State's attorney. Um, this time he is challenging Preckwinkle as a Republican, um, which is, you know, really interesting in terms of the way that he's been, you know, politically, historically. Um but yeah, one of the things about, you know, why Bob Fioretti is being slated as a Republican is that he is, he's part of a slate of candidates backed by the Cook County GOP. Um, the Cook County board is made up of almost all Democrats. So there are only two Republicans right now. One of those Republicans is not running again. So you have one incumbent, one incumbent Republican, Sean Morrison, who is running to keep his seat as a Republican. So really, they're, you know, the Cook County GOP is trying to shake things up and get more Republicans in office. Uh, when we talk about the county GOP, do do their political leanings um, look a lot like state Republicans and how they're moving? Or are they different? Because as we know, you know, Chicago, Cook County mm, politics look a little bit different than, you know, maybe statewide GOP trends. That's a good question. I mean, I really do feel like it depends on who the elected official is. And I think it depends on what people are, what politicians, if they're running for office, are talking about publicly on the campaign trail. 
Are they mentioning Donald Trump, for example? Are they mentioning Darren Bailey? Let's talk commissioners. What exactly do our commissioners do and, and how many are there? So there are 17 commissioners. Um, they essentially, I mean, they're another layer of government, right? But their districts are really big. They operate in Chicago and in the suburbs. You know, they oversee the things I mentioned at the beginning of this conversation, the county jail, the circuit court system, the, the Cook County health system. You know, they craft legislation. Um, during COVID, they were in charge of the suburban response to COVID. So, you know, they also have a big focus on equity. So when you looked at who was getting a vaccine in which communities, where was it needed more? They were working with the Cook County Public Health Department to steer it towards certain communities. Um, so yeah, they've got a, they've got a, a huge job. That eight billion dollar budget I mentioned, they're in charge of mm-hmm. spending that money appropriately. Are there any interesting races that you're watching there? Well, Cook County Commissioner Brandon Johnson is running for mayor. Exactly. You know, we've and, and got. I'm gonna be honest. One of the more solid intro commercials of the slate. It's it's really interesting. I mean, he's been a this is his first term, I believe, as a commissioner. Um, you know, he used to, he's a former teacher. I would say he is a a calming presence to watch at the board meetings. You know, we'll see how his campaign is for obviously like running against Mayor Lightfoot. Um, and then you've got so when you think about the seventeen uh, commissioner districts, four of them are purple. So in other words, are like swing districts, right? Uh, as head of the Democratic um, Party, Tony Preckwinkle is going after those four districts. She has two Democrats already in power there, and she's hoping to keep those seats Democrat. And then she's got Sean Morrison, who is a Republican, running to keep his seat, and Peter Silvestri, who's a Republican, who is not running for re-election. And so essentially, you know, I think these four districts are definitely those to watch. Um, if Sean Morrison loses and Pete Silvestri's district um, is won by your Democrat, there would be no rep- there would be no Republicans on the county board, um, which would obviously be a really interesting thing to watch. I will say, you know, I did a story a while ago, um, within the last, what was it, maybe ran like in September or so, um, I did a story recently where I was looking at that, like what happens if Sean Morrison does lose? What does that mean for democracy on the county board? And, you know, people were we're quick to point out that not every Democrat votes the same. Like one of the other commissioners, Frank Aguilar, used to be a Republican state lawmaker, and now he's a Democrat. So, you know, I guess people are just pointing out to me a lot of different perspectives to keep in check should the board be all blue, which could be a possibility. Given the small number that have already been on the board, has it like would we see a major you know difference in terms of how the block votes, how they move, you know, with none versus the again the 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 you know small amount that they have now? I mean, I haven't really seen any sort of. I mean, Pete Silvestri is a moderate Republican. Um, Sean Morrison is is more conservative as a Republican, but it's not like they both vote against. A lot of you know the budget, the proposed budgets or other legislation, just because they're Republicans on the board, right? Um, so I think it remains to be seen what would happen should there be no Republicans on the board. Um, but I don't see any sort of holdup right now. I think if anything, Sean Morrison right now does point out a lot of um, things he's concerned about. A big, a big one being crime. He asks a lot of questions to Cook County State's Attorney's Office. 
Cook County State's Attorney Kim Fox about the Safety Act, for example, and the implementation, how that's going. He's concerned that conservatives like him might not get that opportunity if they don't have someone like him representing him, representing them, I should say. Understood. I mean, when honestly, or frankly speaking, when both sides of the aisle talk about crime in Chicago, they it's probably one of the things they sound most alike on. Um, you know, there we've talked about uh, some of the people who are running, but there are also issues on the ballot that people are going to be looking through. And we've mentioned the referendum to raise property taxes to help fund the forest preserves. What's the forest preserves budget and why do they say that an increase is needed? The Cook County Forest Preserves... Um, They're a separate unit of government, even though the same commissioners on the Cook County Board also represent the Forest Preserve District. So Tony Preckwinkle is president. The commissioners on the county board are commissioners for the Forest Preserve Board. Um, They have a really tiny budget compared to the county budget. So the Forest Preserve District, their proposed budget for next year is around $140 million. So compare that to $8 billion for the county. It's really a drop in the bucket. But because and 140 million for how much land are we talking about? It's huge. The forest preserves are about 70,000 acres. Um, you've also got the Brookfield Zoo and the Chicago Botanic Garden that sit on forest preserve land. So essentially, the forest preserve district is their landlord. But because they're a separate unit of government, the forest preserve can't, they're capped at how much they can raise property taxes, which is their main way that they make money. So they're asking for. They have this referendum on the ballot that's essentially asking voters, would you pay more toward the preserves? So now homeowners pay about $3 to $4 a month in property tax toward their preserve. Like you can check out your property tax bill and you see a 3 to 4 bucks a month go towards that. The referendum essentially is saying, would you pay about $1.50 more a month? So which is about $20 more a year toward the preserves. And they've got a laundry list of needs, they say. They've got millions of dollars in maintenance needs. Like, you know, all the picnic groves people have the reunions at, they need new roofs. You think of all the bike trails, um, running trails. They've got a pension fund that needs $10 million more a year contributed to it, or they say it'll run out of money in the next 20 years. And then, like, their big thing is that they want to buy up more land and they want to restore more land. Um, And, you know, they say, you know, if, if you don't buy more land now, this is a big part of like their conservation efforts. You could see it. You could see developers buying that up before we could get to it, essentially. Mm-hmm. What do you have you talked to people, you know, homeowners, you know, even when you're just thinking about it yourself? Is, is the force. Do you think the forest preserves gets enough attention when we talk about the green space across the county, how beneficial it is, how much effort goes into preserving? We talked with somebody who volunteers at the forest preserve and it takes a lot, a lot of maintenance work. It takes a ton. I, I when I re- first wrote about this proposed tax a couple of years ago, at that time, President Preckwinkle said, no, we're not hiking taxes. This was before COVID. Um and I went out and saw a before and after. Essentially, I, wa- I was out in the south suburbs at the forest preserves, and it was open and beautiful, and light was coming through, and you saw goldenrods and all these different other native plants. And on the right, it was just dark. <laughs> it was just like a mm. bunch of look like thorns. Just need to be cleared out, right? Maintenance takes a ton. Um, I think during COVID, it really opened a lot of people's eyes. And, you know, because we were all separated, isolated. The forest preserves were a respite. I saw the trails behind my house, you know, they abut uh, the North Branch Channel and um, it looked like the lakefront because the city shut mm-hmm. down the lakefront path, you remember, in the mm-hmm. beginning of COVID. And all these people were I now- I was out in the Dan Ryan woods. Yeah, I mean, the Dan, right? So, um, 
And the commissioners were telling me that they were hearing a lot more about the forest preserves during COVID, like people thanking them. But of course, there are going to be people who can't afford to pay more in property taxes, don't want to pay more in property taxes. Um, There's a huge campaign. uh, I think it's, what is it called? Like the Vote Yes campaign. Ron Swanson from Parks and Rec, one of my favorite shows ever. Um, That Nick Offerman, Mm -hmm. right? He did an ad for this campaign. Um, so, you know, there's there's a lot of momentum, obviously, for people who are backing it. But l- like I said, I, there are still going to be people who don't want to pay more in property yeah. taxes or can't afford it. Whenever we talk about taxes, right, moving forward, what, what do we in Cook County really need to be watching with our county offices as they start this next term? I think a huge piece of it is um, is the ability to staff offices and jobs to provide the services the county does. The county has a tremendous responsibility in terms of running, you know, the courts, the jail, the public health system, all these other things. Uh, I just listened to a couple of days of hearings about the proposed budget for next year that the county board is going to be voting on soon. And so many of the department heads and elected officials talked about all the jobs that they can't fill. Like you look at the public health system, um, so many nurses, they're having a hard time recruiting nurses who um, can get hired faster at another public health system. That's one. Um, but also they're getting paid more at other places and or they burned out and they just want to break. The county has some 4,000 vacancies um, and that's out of a little over 20,000 total employees that they have and they want to hire more. And we've also got a billion dollars in federal pandemic money that the county wants to do a lot of really interesting programming around, like the guaranteed income program, right? So I'm going to be watching for, are they going to have enough staff to pull off all these big things that they want to do? WBEZ politics reporter Kristen Shores, thank you for coming back and joining us on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was fun. Before I let you go, a little bit of news, y'all. With fewer polling places and election judges citywide, reports say there are not as many polling places available for Chicagoans who specifically need language help. Remember, check with the Chicago Board of Elections for polling sites near you. City colleges and the faculty and staff union have reached a tentative deal after a year of negotiations, averting a strike that was expected to start tomorrow. More details are likely to emerge today. Owners of the hideout say the music venue will close through the rest of the year after a former program director published a detailed note alleging them of a toxic workplace. Hideout owners said they'll audit their practices and policies and aim to reopen next year. And some good news to get you through. In honor of Dia de los Muertos, or Day of the Dead, one of Chicago's longest-running events will be at Dvorak Park tomorrow. Muertos de la Risa will feature activities, multiple offerendas, and some live performances for the Mexican holiday celebrating life and those who have passed on. Sydney's also got more ways to celebrate in today's Hey Chicago. Hopefully our newsletter is already in your inbox. If not, check it out at chicago.citycast.fm. As always, I appreciate you for listening. I know the team appreciates you for reading. We're going to talk to you tomorrow. Peace. My favorite Kristen story is this really quick is she had an apple one day and I was like, oh God, I am so hungry for an apple. And I knew as soon as I said that, because how she is, I go, she's going to bring me an apple tomorrow. And she came in with her lunch and she goes, I brought you an apple. You said you were hungry for an apple. And I was like, you are so thoughtful. I knew you would bring me an apple. (laughs) 
I like to feed people healthy food. So no, can... This is what podcast audience really want. Let's be real. This level of like in-depth friendship and conversation that's like blended with the county talk. That's really what people go to podcasts for. We, we, I feel like we be doing a disservice. We be cutting out all this nonsense, just giving them straight up. Oh, Tony Prankwinkle, Bob Fioretti. Here's an apple. <laughs> <laughs>